Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmaid. And on this week's Archive Edition, we open the door and crawl through the imagination of Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson, who co-directed the 2015 Oscar-nominated stop-motion film Anomalisa. You know, I'm, I'm just glad it exists. I, I mean, I, I was struggling for a long time to get anything made, and I wasn't really expecting this thing to happen. Mm. So I was just basically throwing things against a wall, and this happened to be one of them. This is the story of one soul-searching evening in the life of self-help author Michael Stone, played by David Thewlis. In the film, the character of Michael has a blinkered view of the world, perceiving everyone as having the same face and voice, with all the characters he encounters played by the same actor, Tom Noonan. It's Michael's encounter with an original face and voice which makes a huge impression in his life, that of Lisa, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh my God. Hello? Oh, do I look awful? I was just taking my makeup off. Oh my God. Oh, don't, don't look at me. Hello. No, you look lovely. The film was produced and co-directed by Duke Johnson and co-directed and written by Charlie Kaufman. Kaufman, as you may know, was responsible for the writing of Being John Malkovich, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and writing and directing Synecdoche, New York. I caught up with the two directors in a not-so-ordinary hotel in central London to discuss the film. Ladies and gentlemen, Allow me to be the first to welcome to Cincinnati. So I just wanted to start with you, Charlie. Um, could I ask a little bit about the history of the film? I believe it started life as a play written for an event put together by soundtrack composer Carter Burwell. That's correct. It was something called Theatre of the New Year. And I did a play and the Cohen brothers did a play. And then when we came to Los Angeles to do it, the Coens couldn't come. So I wrote a second one, which turned out to be Anomalisa. And it was with the same cast, Jennifer, David and Tom, and um, was kind of a stage radio play. The actors were reading the scripts on stage. Carter was on there with his musicians, and there was a Foley artist. And so that was in 2005, and a friend of mine named Dino Stamatopoulos was in the audience, and he liked the play. He went on to found Starburn's animation studio, where Duke works as a director, and they approached me in 2011 to make it into a stop-motion film. I hadn't seen the play. Um, when Dino founded the studio in 2010, we, we started it to do the stop-motion animated episode of a show called Community. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we went on to produce another show for Dino and and uh, and another thing. And then in 2011, 
we had finished uh, a Moral Oral special and we were looking for something to produce next in the studio. And Dino mentioned that he had a copy of the script. So I read it in script form and that was my first introduction to it. I mean, in particular, we were looking for, it's, it was sort of a, a dream of ours, mine and Dino's, uh, to explore more adult themes and uh, uh, situations in, in stop motion. And then both huge fans of Charlie's work, So and then reading the script. And then um, there were all these things in it that weren't intended for this medium, but he talks about, you know, uh, what it is to be human, what it, what it is to, to, to be alive. And, you know, reading that with a, a mind towards, um, you know, puppet animation just seemed like I started to get excited. It kind of, it, it made sense. And what did you think, Charlie, about this idea? I mean, what was your sort of relationship with animation at this point? Um, I didn't have much of a relation. I mean, obviously I'd worked with puppets before, but, um, I like animation, but I didn't have any problem with it being animated. I like the idea of doing something adult for animation, but my main concern was this was designed not to be seen. Mm. So any visual version of it kind of gave me some pause. And um, But, you know, once we started to work on it, and I think the thing that Duke just said is, 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 is true for me as well, that idea of exploring what it is to be a human being seemed perfectly suited to puppets. And the thing is, as well, and this is a question for both of you, I suppose, it, it's no mean commitment. It's something that, something that you're going to give a significant portion of your life to. Well, to be 100% fair, um, I don't think we realized what exactly how big of a commitment <laughs> we were making. You know, from our standpoint, um, Starburn's side, you know, we had worked in television and we had done this stuff and, you know, we were grateful to do it. But the opportunity to tell a story that was something that we were so passionate about and, 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 you know, it was such a, it was such a good story and it it was very exciting to us. And, um, so we were very motivated in that sense, but it wasn't until Charlie and I actually started working together and, and the thing started taking shape and we started, started to realize the scope of what it was that we were actually doing. We started to get a picture of, you know, uh, how daunting it was. And at that point it was just kind of like, We've started this thing. (laughs) What do we do now? We might as well just keep going, I guess. Hello. Welcome to the Frey Jolie. Hi, I'm checking in. Stone? Welcome, Mr. Stone. Oh, there we go. Michael Stone. Smoking king-size bed. And you'll be with us for just one night, sir? One night, yes. I'll just need to make an imprint of your credit card for incidentals, and we'll be all set. I'd like a quiet room if you have one. Yes, sir. Of course. I have a charming deluxe smoking junior suite on the 10th floor with a king-size bed. Far above the street, I would say. That sounds good. Great. Dennis here will show you to your room. Oh, thank you. Right this way, sir. My name is Dennis. But was there a certain sense of uh, liberation in the sense that you you wrote this, I think, obviously reasonably quickly, and then it was performed on the theatre, and then obviously this transformation, although it took time, it was reasonably straightforward. It was straightforward. I mean, we obviously had to figure out all of the visuals because there were none. So, but yeah, the script is pretty much the same. And the script was written, you know, fairly quickly, but also to be heard. So there's a kind of simplicity in the structure of it because it had to be understood that is not present in a lot of my other work. So in that sense, if I had written this to be an animated film, it would have been much more convoluted, I imagine, you know, in, the, in its presentation. So, and that's different for me because my stuff is usually kind of complicated that way. So I, I, I like that that happened, you know. The script didn't change much, but I was interested to know 
what you did have to do. I mean, one of the great great things about the film is attention to detail. You you know you talked about it being realistic, but you know the the hair flicks, the the, the embarrassment of not being able to get your key code into the hotel door. It, you seem to revel in that in the film. Yeah, all of those things were discoveries that we made throughout the process. The key card in particular might have actually been in the play. I, I don't remember. I think it was, but I don't yeah. remember either. But, but there were a lot of things like Lisa falling and, you know, the guy outside the, the office worker outside the window and the magazine and the phone. There's a lot, there was a lot of visual stuff that we discovered as we went along, building in the sort of gaps between dialogue, you know, um, and also in the process of just visualizing everything because the script was the dialogue. Um, and so, uh, yeah, what, what does this world look like? And um, getting very specific with that was w- one of the exciting parts of the process. How did you experience the process, Charlie? I mean, was this something that you came back to every week, every day during the, pro- the very long, you know, the two years of, of its gestation? Um, pre-production, Duke and I were there together, sort of figuring out the design, what the puppets were going to look like, then doing the animatic you know, which is which is a basically the finished film in in storyboard form, and then once production started, uh, I was in contact with Duke and Rosa um, daily, sometimes a few times a day. Um, I'd see all the footage as it came in. We'd discuss it. We'd you know go on from there. Uh, but I, in terms of being there on the set for the two years of production, I would be there only very occasionally. <sighs> I want to talk about the um, the actors. We only have three, <laughs> which is which is just unusual in itself. Um, did you record their parts at the beginning, or did they come and revoice stuff? How how did that work? We got all three actors together, the same actors from the play, and the first thing we did before discussing any of the um, creative direction, the visual direction, was we got them together and re-recorded all the voices. Um, and we did it together as opposed to individually, which is how it's typically done. But we had them, uh, like a play, interacting with each other and reacting to each other. We filmed them as well uh, as we were recording them as sort of reference for the performances. The animators acted stuff out. Um, Charlie and I acted stuff out. We filmed the actors. Sometimes they would pull reference um, off YouTube of, you know, uh, certain things like uh, Lisa Falling. We would, you know, Google... Uh, trips, people tripping and, uh, um, you know, drunk people walking to see what a drunk walk looks like when Michael's walking down the street. And you pull influence from all of these different references, but nothing is, and then it's created by the animator. Um, Nothing is... Interpreted. It's interpreted, exactly. Yeah, nothing... It's not rotoscoped, which is something that has Mm. been been accused of, which we want to be very clear is not rotoscoped because it, it... it isn't, and the the artwork, the art of the animators is 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 being questioned there. Can I have one thing about that too? An interesting thing. First of all, all forms of animation do this, um, from Pixar movies to cell animation to anything. They all look at reference. But one thing that's unique about stop motion versus um, computer animation, like a Pixar movie, is with computer animation, what they can do is they can have somebody walk across a room, they animate the walk, and then they can go back and 
put the facial performance on top of it, and then they can go back and they can put the eye line, make sure that lines up, and they're going over it and over it and over it and doing, you know, having it take shape and take form. With stop motion, it's you have to have all the prep in advance, and you launch and you shoot, and you have one shot at it, and you have to do all that stuff simultaneously. And it takes months to do one shot sometimes. Did did Charlie or, or you ever reshoot anything? We re, yeah, we reshot a few things, but our budget was very tight. I mean, this is, you know, 90% of the movie is one take. Because it progresses so slow, we, we, we were able to sometimes make adjustments sort of mid-shot, um, you know, change the direction of the way something was going. Um, and if something was just totally like... Uh, egregious or something, we could reshoot it, but we weren't able to reshoot super long takes or anything like that. Charlie, when you when you were going along and being sort of an observer to a certain extent, did you have an inkling that this was going to be something a little bit special? Um, I loved it when the animation came in, and it comes in and drips and drabs. I mean, you're looking at like two seconds or a second and a half or something. But I mean, I loved when the when the puppets came in and what they looked like, and when the animation came in, but. To sort of get a sense of what the entire thing was, I, I don't think that I knew if it was going to work until we were actually done with it. Um, so we're lucky, I feel, <laughs> that it did. We could chat, talk about phone system innovations. Oh, um... Um, yeah, I think we could manage that. Right, Lisa? Do you need to find your friend, though? No. Two beautiful ladies trumps my friend. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm blushing. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm blushing too. But yeah, we, I think, you know, uh, the first things we shot were like uh, Michael in the cab and uh, sitting at the breakfast table and him at the lectern. Yeah, hands, <laughs> hand stuff because, you know, we. It, typically with a stop motion film, you have like a year and a half of research and development and you're sort of perfecting these puppets. And we didn't have that. We had six weeks. So the puppets were improving as we were going. So we kind of had to shoot what we could shoot in the beginning. We shot the breakfast table early because they didn't have to walk. <laughs> <laughs> as a viewer, um, I knew it was an animation. I knew what I was getting into when I went into the screening room. But um, I was a little confused and surprised when I saw the airplane flight, the great clouds and stuff like that. It definitely sort of made me think, is this an animation? Even though I knew it was. Was, was that on purpose? I don't, I don't know. That, I don't think we were trying to trick people. No, whether or not it was animation. But I think that there... There is this sort of, um, you know, in our quest for uh, observation of real life and um, and and achieving a certain level of detail and and a, a cinematic tone and atmosphere, what we ultimately ended up achieving was kind of this uh, modulation of being drawn in and out of an experience that feels at times authentic and mm. at times. Um, manufactured. Uh, Charlie, I wanted to ask you, at the heart of this film is, um, my bad Italian here, but the Frigoli uh, concept. Could you, could you explain a little bit about that? Frigoli delusion is the belief that everyone else in the world is the same person in disguise. Um, I'd read about it and I thought it was an interesting sort of idea for this character to suffer from a sort of metaphorical version of it, not like a literal version of it. So that was sort of the jumping off point. I, I had three actors to do this radio play, and I was trying to look for a way to have one actor be able to voice a lot of characters just for budgetary concerns. And this thing lent itself to it. So that's where it came from. 
I wanted to ask you about uh, speaking of that of uh, Tom Noonan. Um, that that guy has to work very very hard. Uh, yeah, I mean it seems effortless for him actually. Um, but yeah, what was interesting about his performance is we did going back to whether we did this linearly. We did the voice records linearly and in real time. So he's doing all these other voices, and he 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 would literally in real time go from you know the waitress to the best friend back to the waitress or to to the wife to the to the son in real time just alternating between these characters and it was pretty impressive i just asked actors who i really loved and um so that's why i chose jennifer and david and tom and um tom i thought was good for this part because his voice and intonation is so specific and I wanted someone who would be recognizable as the same person playing all these different characters. So it was a, the direction to Tom was don't do funny voices, don't don't try to sound like a woman, just change your attitude. You know, we we spoke earlier about um, how realistic it is in places and how that's important. But then there's moments where you're deliberately showing that they are puppets, where where the characters sort of breaking down. I don't think it was deliberate, although Duke has said since that he sort of realized there is something similar in stop motion in general to to playing imaginary games with, with dolls when you're a kid. So, and I think that that's true, and maybe that's what the audience is responding to in a certain way, but I don't, we never consciously talked about that. I want to ask about language or language in songs, because there's this great, um, which I presume was there from the beginning, you've, you've got, you make reference to classical music, so you've got Luck May's Flower Duet, and then you've got Cindy Lauper, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. I, I mean, maybe the question is, is, is music important to you in, in your films? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's part of life, you know. I mean, the Cindy Lauper song was not the original song in the play. It was My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, but we couldn't get the, the rights to that. So this was sort of um, uh, kind of a fortunate thing because I think it's a better – what we have, the Girls Just Want to Have Fun, is a better song for the for the movie. And um, But it was basically because we need, we were scrambling to find something. I don't know. I don't know if music is important. It seemed it seemed right here. I, I like writing song lyrics. I do that in a fair amount in in scripts that I write. With that confusion of voices and, and, and that idea, it sort of helps link everything together in a more maybe mundane way? Uh, well, I mean, I think that's true for the the original theatrical performance as well. I mean, that that's sort of the the key. It's, you know, a guy that hears everybody that sounds the same, and then there's one voice that stands out. And what what better way to articulate the specificity and uniqueness of her voice than have her sing a song? Interestingly, my heart will go on is performed in Italian by Sarah Brightman. And Girls Just Want to Have Fun is not, but that was the joke in the original thing. So we actually had to get a translation of Girls Just Want to Have Fun made for this movie in Italian because <laughs> it didn't exist. Yeah. And if, if anything now, it ha- there's an, a visual element added to it, you know, um, because there's, there's lyrics within the song that she sings that are, articulate certain visuals that come back later. Mm. I, I, I didn't uh, think that there was anything in particular about Charlie's work that lent itself to animation other than I wanted to tell good <laughs> emotional human stories in animation. I mean, I, I think it does fit. You know, I, I think it does work really well. I, I, I don't know that I can articulate exactly why. but Working with Duke was a completely cold experience for me. I had no... Um, experience with him. And I'd seen some of the animation that he worked on um, because it was my friend Dino's company. So, um, you know, I really liked it. But um, I think the thing about working with Duke is the sort of, first of all, I think we share 
an aesthetic, which is is not really like inspiring to me, but it's very helpful in in working with somebody. Um, But, you know, I mean, I think Duke's tenacity and perseverance and ability to sort of like keep going through very, very trying circumstances, which is the making of this movie uh, was, was, was inspiring to me and, and feels like the thing that I'm most uh, proud of with this movie is that, you know, that we did it, Duke and Rosa, our producer, and, and I made this movie and against all odds. And um, at the end of that, that feels like an accomplishment to me. I feel Michael, anxious, Michael. I feel, I feel something, something like you're different, different acting. Hey, no, 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 no. Everything's fine. I'm just, I, I know. know. I'm not, not great, great to look, look at in bright sunlight. No, you're very pretty. Okay. So we could maybe go out for a walk and talk or something? Yes. So I'll see you after? Of course. Charlie's work, you know, people, I've heard people say that it's, you know, quirky or, you know, surreal or whatever, but it's like, I I think it's that, um, that incredible balance of, I don't know, extreme situations or scenarios that articulate like very authentically human experiences. And, and that is certainly something I was inspired to try to reproduce with animation. Um, it's the kind of movies that I want to see. And I feel like if I make myself vulnerable and am honest in expressing what I'm trying to express, that there's a chance that other people will have a reaction to that. And if someone tells me that they leave the theater and the world looks different when they step outside the theater, which sometimes people tell me, I mean, that's like the biggest compliment I could get. That's beautiful. Girls, they want, want to have fun. Girls, they want to have, just want to, they just want to, just want to, they just want to, oh, girls, just want to. Okay, that's it. Happy. Yeah, this was your first, you know, first major film, and yeah. to get Oscar nominated—that's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, uh, we. I mean, you know, we made this in a. I don't know what the right term is. Vacuum bubble. I don't garage. know. Garage. <laughs> yeah. We garage. made this. We made this in a garage in Burbank, California. And, you know, the outside world didn't know much about it. And, you know, there's a little, a little bit spoken about, a little anticipation because of the Kickstarter and, you know, fans of Charlie's work, but we didn't even know if it, you know, if it would be released in theaters. I, I actually, that was my grand aspiration was that it would be like a real movie released in movie theaters for people to see. And and we didn't really screen it for audiences prior to completing the film. I mean, we had one small friends and family screening and then premiered it at, at Telluride. And so uh, we couldn't predict the reaction that, that we had. I mean, I like I said, I'm really glad that we did it and we got it done this way. I think we all agree that we'd rather do something a little more comfortably next time because it was, it was it, the situation was so dire constantly throughout this thing. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just glad it exists. I, I mean, I, I was struggling for a long time to get anything made and I wasn't really expecting this thing to happen. Mm. So I was just basically throwing things against a wall and this happened to be one of them. And that it, that it's the first thing that I've completed since Synecdoche is surprising to me, mm. but, um, but thrilling, you know, and where'd you go next? Uh, make another movie. 
Yeah, I've started a, a couple different projects, but I'm still trying to decide which is uh, the right avenue that I want to take um, next. This has been so this press tour and every the award season, and it's been so insane and crazy that I think this might be kind of our final thing. This trip here um, to London, and I'm excited to get back and get back to work. I'm trying to finish a novel, and I'm. Um um, waiting on a screenplay that I wrote for Paramount to see if it moves forward. I'm sorry, I don't mean to burden you with that. <laughs> just, I just don't know what else to do because I have no one to talk to. <coughs> oh, um, anyway, yes, don't forget to smile. Makes a person's day. What does it cost you? Smile's free. Our time... Is limited, we forget that. Death comes, that's it. Soon it's as if we never existed. So remember to smile. Remember there is someone out there for everyone, someone to love. Remember every person you speak to needs love. Remember... Thanks to Charlie and Duke. This film really pulls and stretches your mind. And revisiting this interview makes me want to go back and watch all of Kaufman's films again. And of course, I'm excited to see what Duke does next. I'm Benesh Maid. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast, here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and themed series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on ACAST, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.